1: Hello, everyone, and thank you so much for tuning into the Claudio Relsano Show brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Al Care Center. We're recording from the My Policy Quote Studios in Swickley, Pennsylvania. As always, I want to thank Rick Mitchell for the introductions and my fantastic producer, Mr. Adam Zalouf. Some news before we get into our great interview. Our next two weeks, our next guests, Well, it'll. I guess you can call it a simulcast because I'm doing a show, our Italian Impact Weekly show. Uh, and we're going to uh, have a guest on the radio show, but we're also going to put that on this show, and that is Mario Andretti, and the week after will be Vince Ferragamo. So uh, we're going to have three Italians in a row because our guest today is a well-known Italian. He is he's an author. He's a businessman. He was voted, the war, uh, I guess, the world's worst avid golfer, but on top of that, he is one of the nicest people i've ever met and i mean that and i just met him a few months ago and it's been a pleasure to meet him and his son don and as mr angelo spagnolo angelo thank you so much for being on the show
2: well thank you claudia and uh i feel uh honored to be in such esteemed company with <laughs> the likes of uh mario andretti and vince Firagamo. that's that's pretty good company, <laughs> and,
1: and and they would say the same thing about you. They knew you because uh, you're you're a good man, like I said. Yeah, yeah, we're excited to have them on. They've been on my show before, but we're gonna, I guess, a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. which is hard to believe. And we're gonna have them on the show that you were on, Italian Impact Weekly with Steve Mancini, mm-hmm. uh, which you can check out on uh, ItalianImpactWeekly.com. But um, so uh, I- I'm honored that they're taking the time to be on the show, and I'm honored that you're taking the time to be on this show. So, uh, but you know what, before we do anything about your career and your life, let's talk about what happened a few weeks ago. Your son Don uh, pulled off a big time event called YinzerCon Khan uh, out in his store at Steel City Galleries in Belle Vernon. Uh, obviously uh, you were invited. I was invited, Mary Hours, John Manizak, um, a lot of other uh, local people. And it was a great event. And uh, so tell us your thoughts about about, uh, Khan. Well, you know,
2: it was an idea that my, my son had and, uh, uh, you know, he's a, he's a real progressive thinker and, you know, he wanted to do something to honor Pittsburgh and the, the whole, uh, the way that Pittsburghers think of themselves. And, uh, you know, when he, when he first brought it up to me, I thought, well, this is going to be a major undertaking <laughs> this off. And, and, uh, you know, he, he started scouting people up and, uh, he, he really did a, a great job of, of putting the thing together and I hope he can do it again next year. And, and, uh, you know, the people that were there, uh, they, they seemed to really enjoy themselves and, uh, And everybody that he had as a guest, I don't know if it was just a coincidence, but uh, everybody was very welcoming, and uh, they really were pleased to be there. So that made me feel really good, and and I'm sure that the people that that came uh, felt that, too.
1: Oh, yeah, everybody. It was a great event, but as I always say, it's hard to get three people together for lunch, let alone what he did. And, um, it was a steady stream of people in and out all day. And, um, like I said, I was honored to be invited. I, I really was, it was something that meant a lot to me and, um, uh, met a lot of nice people and, and, um, it, it was a fun event. So hopefully, uh, he'll do it again next year. And if he, if he's, uh, needs another guy, give me a call and I'll be there.
2: Well, you know, I appreciate that, Claudia. And, and, you know, I'll give you a little bit of a background story. When we were first planning this uh, we were we were really concerned that you know we could have something that we could have wall-to-wall people and that th- that people could not even be able to move and right. we felt not only would that be a safety hazard but you know we we just didn't think that would be any fun for anybody
1: right and right. so
2: that's when we decided um, actually, it was my son's idea to, to to make a ticket out of it, and and uh, that you, know, you, you only would be you know gain entry by having a ticket. And uh, you know, I, I know there were people that tried to get in that wanted to just shop, but the store wasn't open for regular business that day. You had to have a ticket to get in, and and uh, that was the way that we deliberately controlled the number of people. Uh, because, you know, even even the building owners were concerned that with all the publicity was getting that, you know, gee, you know, you could have, uh, you know, a thousand cars here, you know, where they're all going to park, you know, all those kind of things. Uh, so there were a lot of concerns, and we, we even toyed with the idea of possibly uh, having the event somewhere else uh, that would be able to accommodate more people. But, uh, you know, the more we talked about it, we just felt that we thought it would be better to control the numbers and have it where we were planning on having it originally uh, at Dawn's business rather than, you know, any number of other venues we could have gone to. So I thought it worked out for for those that that attended and bought a ticket. I I think they got more than their money's worth, and uh, they – They got a chance to meet a lot of really neat people, and uh, it was a lot of fun.
1: It it was. It was. And I, again, truly honored and appreciate the invitation. So uh, hopefully he does it again next year.
2: Yes, sir. I I, I do, too.
1: Now, Angelo, you, as I I mentioned, a lot of different hats, and anybody who listens to the show knows that I appreciate people who do multiple things, right? So let's first start off with your business career. Tell us a little bit about that, your Giant Eagle days and and all that, please.
2: Well, I had um, it's interesting. My, my life has been really interesting, and and I'll I'll talk a little later about uh, uh, one of the books that I that sure. I wrote um, as an autobiography. Uh, it's called I decided to call it Confessions from a Charmed Life, and the reason I chose that title is that as I reflected on my life in writing my book, I I came to realize that there have been many, many things that happened to me over the course of that lifetime that were, for lack of a better word, real blessings. And and when you have things like that that continually happen to you, uh, you know, you could call it a blessed life, uh, but it's more common for people to say that it's a charmed life. So, so uh, that's, that was how I titled the book. And, you know, early on in, in my life, uh, uh, you know, I when I was back in eighth grade, uh, and this is something that went on to shape my, my life moving forward, uh, I remember distinctly uh, the, the the Monsignor of our parish, uh, got all the boys together, the eighth grade boys, and uh, had a, a little meeting with us to talk about the fact that you know he was an old priest by this time, and you know he was telling us you know how long do you guys think that I'm going to be around? You know we need to have young men stepping up to continue the work of the priesthood, and that's why I'm I'm talking to you fellows today because there's a school in Pittsburgh called the Bishop's Latin School, and they're having an entrance exam. Uh, It's considered a pre-seminary, and, you know, if you'd like to give it a shot and see if you could qualify, you know, they're having an entrance exam. Well, you know, I was never, I was always a, 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 a devout Catholic, but I wasn't, like, over the top or anything. But, you know, this really, these words really struck me. And so I actually went and took the entrance exam, and I got into this very, very tough school, uh, the Bishop's Latin School, that was taught by Jesuit priests. And when I tell you this school was tough, it remains the most difficult thing I ever did in my entire life, getting wow. through four years of this school. And, uh, you know, I had four years of Latin, three years of Greek, uh, trig. Physics. I mean, it was just a brutal schedule, and uh, when I finally got out of school after four years, I was so burned out mentally uh, that, you know, if I was going to continue on in the seminary program, I would have gone to Duquesne University, and uh, I would have had to take either more classics, which I was like really over the top with classics by that point, uh, or, or immediately go into theology, and I wasn't ready to do that either. So, uh, you know, I, I made a difficult decision not to continue on in the seminary program. Um, and I was thinking, you know, what should I do? And I I decided that because of all the language training that I had had, and let's face it, a lot of that is sentence structure and, and all that, I decided that the best thing I could do would be to go into journalism. And I went to Point Park College, and I got a degree in journalism. Now, my family had been in the food business for many years. My my grandfather, when he came to this country, uh, he, uh, he started off with a horse and wagon, and over the years... Uh, you know, they the his sons uh, they 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 grew into a little corner store and then a store that had meat and groceries and everything, and and it was just a an ongoing business, and you know I could have easily just decided to stay in the family business, but I really had this thing I I, I wanted to be uh, I wanted to be in the newspaper business, and I particularly wanted to be a sports writer and when i I tried getting into the newspaper business, there really weren't many many job openings and the jobs that there were, I would have had to go to some weekly paper in in Ohio somewhere at at, at a very very low salary and none of the jobs really interested me. so I did something that in retrospect was pretty audacious. And what I did, I scraped all the money together that I could. And I borrowed some money and I started my own newspaper business. It was called the the Pittsburgh North Star. And it was based out of the North side and North Hills of Pittsburgh. It was a free weekly distribution paper. And after about a year I then started another, a second uh, publication that was called Black and Gold, and this was on the Pirates, Penguins, and Steelers, and the best part for me was that it it got me press credentials that I was down at the Steeler games, and I'd be on the sideline, and in the locker room, in the the post-game press conferences, and this is back in, the late 70s, early 80s, when the Stewards were winning all their Super Bowls. Um, So, uh, you know, it was was a a fantastic time to be doing that. And uh, unfortunately, after five years in the business, uh, the economy uh, went into a, a deep recession, and all the advertisers began cutting back and since we were the youngest newspaper, we were the first one that got cut. And so we we did not survive the recession. And I remember sitting down and putting my head on my desk and crying when I had to close my newspaper business because, you know, it was a, a dream that I had Um and actually in some respects i had realized my dream w- whether i realized it or not at the time that i did get to be a sports writer and i did get to cover the steers and i i lived that dream for a few years um but you know one day i was i was sitting at home i was trying to find jobs and uh, i got a call from my dad and and he said um uh, you know, by this time, you know, I'm I'm already married. I have a son, and my dad says, uh, you know, what are you going to do now? I said, well, I'm 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 trying to find another job, and he said, well, you know, I'm not I'm not telling you not to to follow what you want to do. He said, but you know, you need to have some income, and you need to have health benefits. He says, why don't you come and work for me? And he said, if something comes up for the newspaper, you can go do that. So I did. And, I, you know, our family, by this point, my grandfather had retired. And my dad and his brothers had a a shop and save store in Pittsburgh. And uh, so I went to work there for a couple of years. Eventually, I got offered a a store manager's job. Uh, And, you know, I was in a store that had my dad and his two brothers and and all my cousins. I mean, it was a lot of family members. Uh, and, you know, I when I saw an opportunity to go out on my own, uh, and it was a store manager job, no less, uh, I took the opportunity, and my dad was happy for me. Uh, and I, I went out to Bel Vernon uh, to run a, a shop and safe store there. Uh, I was, I was, uh, working for shop and save for a couple of years and doing really well. And one day my dad called me up and he said, I'll never forget. It. He said, how would you like to be my competition? I said, <laughs> what, he said, what are you, I said, what are you talking about? He said, uh, he told me that it, he just got done buying a, a, a food land store that was closed, uh, about three, three or so miles away from where my store was, and I, I couldn't believe it of like of all the stores that he could have bought anywhere that he would have bought this store. Um, but uh, you know, as as time went on, uh, I I came to realize that uh, you know this this was my dad. I was very close with my my family, and uh, you know, by this time I had a lot of experience running stores, and I felt that I could I could help him by joining his business. And I wound up going to work for his store, and eventually uh, we we made a decision to to go from the Foodland chain. We became uh, independent owners of uh, of a Giant Eagle franchise. And, uh, and then a few years later, we, we even had a second store offered to us, which was a store that I ran, uh, in, in Belle Vernon. Uh, and, you know, it was, uh, you know, we had getting that store off the ground was, was, was difficult, uh, in the beginning, but, uh, we, we did two expansions on it, uh, between 1985 and, and 95 and, uh, and then in 1996 um, we had a, a Walmart Super Center uh, that went in right across the road from where our store was. And you know our store was a 50,000 square foot store so we were a pretty good sized store. Uh, but, of course, the Walmart Supercenter was 200,000 square feet. Uh, and, of course, you know, we didn't sell jewelry and all the other stuff that they sell, uh, which is, you know, what makes it a Supercenter. Um, my, my wife and I uh, uh, went head-to-head with Walmart for five years and... You know, they they were running pricing against our store that was, um, I guess, you know, for lack of a better word, predatory pricing. Mm-hmm. We were the first first Giant Eagle store to go head-to-head against Walmart. And uh, they were running pricing in, in many respects that their retails were what we were able to buy the product for. Uh, that's how... That's how aggressive they were, and you know our our we had a first class staff of people, and our perishables were second to none, and that's what really kept our store as a viable store, but even still uh you know we were we were still having difficulty because now it it our store went from how how are we going to uh, you know, we had been averaging, you know, anywhere from five to ten percent growth per year, year after year after year, and now we were talking, well, how are we going to slow down this loss in sales? And that's a whole different ball game to be talking about. Very difficult. And after after five or so years, um, in 2001, uh, my dad passed away, and. I I came to realize after after I lost my dad, I and I told you how close our family is, uh sure. I I came I came to realize that you know the food business never was my first love as far as a career and I was doing this because basically I wanted to, I wanted to help my father and and out of loyalty to him and and, uh, when I lost my dad, uh, I don't know, it, it took a lot of the wind out of my sails. You know, I, 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 I was fighting, fighting this battle with Walmart and not, not making any progress with it. And it was, it was just, uh, extremely difficult, uh, storm, storm to weather. And, uh, you know, one one day I, I, uh, I made a a decision that um uh, I was going to sell my store and get out of the retail business and I, I sold my my store back to giant eagle it became a a corporate store and it's kind of funny because back in the era when when I was a store owner uh About half of the Giant Eagle stores, there were were around 200 at the time, and uh, roughly about half of them were franchise stores. Uh, Today, that number has continually shrunk, and the number of people that are franchisees uh, is very small. And I would venture to say that uh, before too long, uh, Giant Eagle is – is going to be strictly a corporate chain again and you know when you talk to people in the, in the know in the food business I still have a lot of those contacts uh, you know they'll tell me that uh, you know the speculation is that that one of these fine days that giant eagle is going to the company's going to sell uh, you know, to one of the other uh, major retailers in the country, uh, because they do have a, a pretty impressive footprint in Pennsylvania and Ohio. But you know, that's that's basically it. I mean, they they've never strayed outside of that. Uh, so you know, it wouldn't it wouldn't strike me as as a, a reach to think that that might happen someday. Uh, They just had change in direction with the the leadership of the company. Uh, uh, It it was run by the Shapira uh, family for many years, and now they have a non-Shapira who is uh, uh, running the company. So that's a major departure in itself. But, uh, you know, after I I got out of the food business, I was still – you know, a fairly young man, and uh, you know i I thought I still had some good years of business, and i I had this you know one of the things we had done uh, in my in my store was that we had tried to develop all kinds of things that no other stores in the area had. And whether it was having a fresh pasta machine that that we would make our own fresh pasta or, uh, you know, we had pizza making equipment that we could make fresh pizzas, uh, you know, that just like the kind that, you know, are made at a little Caesars at at, an oven. Sure. Uh, You know, we, we put all kinds of things. And another one of the things we added was a smokehouse and we started smoking um meats and and one day I was I was surprised I got called back to our meat department and uh the guys wanted to show me that they had taken the initiative they ordered some uh large femur bones from the warehouse normally these would have got cut up into soup bones and what they did was they they smoked them in the smokehouse, and they made these gigantic dog bones. And I thought they were the coolest thing I ever saw, <laughs> and and we started selling them. And I no sooner had them uh, in my store and selling them, and one day I got a call from another Giant Eagle store owner, and he said, you know, my store manager was in your store the other day, and he said that you're selling these giant dog bones. He said, where are you getting those? He said, we'd, "We'd love to sell them in our store," and I thought, you know, we might really have something here. So I started developing this uh, this concept, and we decided to call it Jurassic Dog Bones, and and uh, you know we 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 started creating a whole line of of, of dog products, and uh, I eventually spun off into uh, a new company. Uh, I got the name trademarked and went the whole nine yards with it and, and set up this business. Uh, and, you know, we were we were in business for nine years. We had hundreds of stores that were featuring our product. And, you know, I, I never met a, a dog in my life that didn't absolutely go insane over these dog <laughs> bones when they got them. Uh, they, they just absolutely loved them. But, you know, I I I guess I became very frustrated with the category managers that I had to deal with on a daily basis, uh, that uh that made it extremely difficult to to get the products uh you know on a on a chain wide basis and uh and and I had a very expensive distribution system. Uh, you know, we had our own our own trucks and drivers and uh... it was a very expensive way of, of getting the product into the stores and uh... you know after after nine years uh... you know you would have thought by that time if it was going to make it that it would have and i decided to pull the plug on it after nine years and uh, you know it, it was a, a sad thing to do because i really thought that it it was a, a great concept and who knows maybe if i if I would have had uh, maybe better contacts or or more money to finance it, uh, you know, I would have been able to pull it off. But it's tough to establish a, a new brand. Uh sure. that, that's certainly a, a a massive challenge, and uh, you know, so i I learned uh, I learned a difficult lesson from that. But uh, well, then,
1: then and, you and, went into another brand with golf,
2: right? Well. Well, you know, the, the which golf- real quick,
1: though, if you don't mind, Angela, we're going to take a quick commercial break and, and to hear from our sponsors, then uh, we're going to go into your, your golf career, if that's OK. And 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 I really appreciate you sharing. That was a great story. Uh, about the Shop and Save and Giant Eagle and then everything that you did, for sure. Mm -hmm. But we're going to hear from our great sponsors, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Dom's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, Criminal Defense Attorney Eric Jackson-Laurie, and my policy quote. You can call Lou Raggianti on his cell phone at 412-609-9963. Don't forget about my book, Lead from the Heart Up Not to Neck Up, How to Create a Positive Winning Culture, on the field and in the office, you can get it on my website at ClaudioRalsano.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Barnes and Noble in Robinson Township. <clears throat> the boxing Authorities, boxing's Very best TV show with Luther Dupree Jr., Smoking Jim Frazier. Check us out on Channel Box. Click on the WBC Live link, the Pennsylvania Basketball Coaches Podcast. You can check that out. That's another show that I host on pa-bca.org. And brand new radio show with Steve Mancini called Italian Impact Weekly on WKHB Radio. 102.1 FM, 94.1 FM, 92.3 FM at 6.20 a.m. Every Thursday at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. The next two weeks, we have Mario Andretti, May 4th, May 11th, L.A. Rams Super Bowl quarterback Vince Ferragamo. You can also hear those interviews on this uh, channel as well. May 15th, the 22nd annual For the Kids Celebrity Golf Outing at Treesdale with uh, being hosted by Sid Bream, former Pirate and former Steeler John Kolb. A lot of great guests, a lot of great celebrities will be there. Uh, Craig Wolfley will be there. Jim Leland will be there. Mike McHenry, the former Pirate who does Pirate TV stuff. I'll be there for the 22nd year to register for that event. Go to Team CSI golf.org. And again, uh, to listen to the Italian impact show. If you don't listen to it on the radio, you can check us out on Italian impact weekly.com. We we'll were right back with Angelo Spagnolo.
5: How much was your tax penalty for your health insurance last year? Were you
1: told your health premium was going to be something, then you wound up paying a huge tax penalty? Are you tired of being lied to about your premium and then getting stuck in the penalty box? Lou and his team at My Policy Quote are your number one draft pick. They have access to all the top carriers, and as a brokerage, they have full market visibility with the tools and experience. Let Lou help you and your family find truly affordable quality insurance and quarterback your power play to get you out of the penalty box. Call Lou and his team at 412 609 9963. Okay, Angelo, now your golf career. You were mm-hmm. voted. Uh, you get that. As, am I right when I say the world's worst avid golfer? Is that the correct title?
2: Technically, technically, it's America's, America's. worst avid golfer.
1: Yeah. Okay, I'm sorry, America's. <laughs> okay, now how did that happen?
2: Well, uh, you know, I, I I mentioned about my 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 supermarket career, and you know that that's a very uh, very uh, pressure packed job. You know, I used to kid around and say I had 12,000 customers a week and I had 150 employees. So that equaled 12,150 potential problems each week. Now, of course, I didn't have that many problems, but I think the law of averages tells you when you're dealing in numbers that big, chances are that you're going to have a problem here and there. (laughs) Um, So, so, you know, it, it was a high stress job. And, uh, you know, I was, I was approached one day, uh, by one of my neighbors, uh, you know, they were, they were starting a golf league and he asked me if I'd be interested and, you know, I had played some golf when I was younger. Um, you know, I hadn't played a ton and certainly hadn't played in a number of years, but, you know, I thought it would be a lot of fun. The, the, there, there were a lot of guys in my neighborhood that were, you know, really fun guys to be around, and and I thought, yeah, I'd really like to like to do that. And I, I, it became something that I really look forward to doing, because of just having the break in the in the stress. And you know, I, many times I had, I've had people say to me, well, you know, when you were playing golf that bad. You know, why Why would you continue to play? And, you know, and they didn't understand that, you know, what I was going through in terms of stress and that if I had a, a good hole or made a nice shot or something, that's all I cared about. I wasn't really so much worried about, you know, how great of a, store, a score I would, would achieve. Um, but, you know, I was playing pretty bad. <laughs> and my my golf league recognized it. And one day they they told me that uh, they they nominated me for that that golf tournament. And I said, What are you talking about? And and they said, Yeah, they're they're looking for the worst avid golfer in America. That's got to be you. And and I I got a copy of Golf Digest at my store, and I looked up the article and. Sure enough, you know, they were they had this thing was called the search for America's worst avid golfer. And, uh, you know, they had all these different criteria that you had to meet. I mean, they they weren't just looking for somebody to plays once a year. Uh, they mm-hmm. wanted somebody to plays golf regularly, um, has a high handicap and, you know, that knows the rules of, of etiquette, uh, but just a, a terrible player. <laughs> and they they nominated me they they sent they sent videotape of me playing and uh, uh and you know I got a call one day from Golf Digest that uh one of their senior editors was going to be going around the country uh and he, he he told me that I was one of the the 12 finalists and he was going to come and play a round of golf with me at my home course. And, you know, I, I, I met him at Linden Hall golf course. And, uh, you know, it was a typical round for me, a lot of bad shots, a couple of nice ones. Um, but I didn't swear. I didn't throw my clubs around. I, I replaced all my divots. I, I knew what you were supposed to do on a golf course. I was, I, I, I knew the protocol And um, about three or four weeks later, I got this phone call on a Sunday morning, and it was from Marino Parasenzo, who was a reporter for the um, Pittsburgh Press. And he was at the Players' Championship uh, in Ponte Vedra. And I could hear in the background... Uh, you know, public address uh, system uh, announcer voice going off, and and he was telling me that he just found out that I was one of the four finalists for the worst avid golfers tournament. And what did I think about it? And you know, and I said, Jeez, this is the first I'm hearing about. It. He says, you mean Golf Digest didn't even let you know? I said, no, this is the first I'm hearing about. It. And he says. Well, geez, don't tell them I told you. They're going to be mad at me. Well, <laughs> but but uh, you know they 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 did contact me shortly thereafter and and uh, and explained to me that uh, you know I would be flying down to, to play at the Players Championship course and that they were going to have us play from the pro tees and you know that uh, the course would be set up like. Uh, for a championship and it would be the course would be closed that day that it would be just us playing on it and uh, you know when I when I flew down there with my wife uh, and my my kids um, you know it, it was it was like a, a, a dream you know I, you know you just didn't sure. expect to ever being something like that uh, but then as I as I got there uh, you know they they had they had one of the uh one of the executives um uh, took me around the course and they they didn't want us to play a regular round of golf they they want us to just hit a couple of balls and just familiarize ourselves with the the terrain of the, the course and uh i got to be truthful with the after seeing that course uh, i was like uh, god this is the, the worst thing i could ever imagine uh you know, and I was like, for the next 48 hours before we we started the tournament, uh, I was like, just shuddering over what this was going to be like, you know, and, you know, that morning, uh, I went to the practice range, and I couldn't believe my eyes, there were like 30 camera crews assembled, and and they're following me around, and you know, I go to the practice tee and I'm hitting balls and cameras are clicking and you know videos are being taken and and this this reporter uh, cameraman from Golf Digest comes up to me and he says, uh, "Hey Angelo," he says, "we want to do a swing sequence of you." He said, um, "How about if you get a, your clubs, throw them in my cart, and take them out? We're, we're gonna we're gonna leave from this practice area. There's a there's an area that's real quiet that I could have you take some swings. And I, I thought, well, this, that's great. That'll get me out of this zoo. So I <laughs> I went with him and, uh, I took a swing and, you know, he, he did a high speed, uh, you know, sequence on my swing. And, uh, I hit this beautiful shot and he said, wow. And I said, yeah, I said that, that that was better than any ball i hit you know a couple of days ago when i was playing and uh he says well hit one more and i hit another really good ball and i said you know i don't, I don't know how many of these you think i have in my bag but i'm not going to waste them out here <laughs> and and he said that, that's good he said we i got what i needed and and uh so i felt good about myself that i hit a couple of nice balls so, so, uh, I came back and, you know, there's this big crowd of people at the first tee and, you know, I had never played in front of a crowd of people before, but, uh, you know, this, that was intimidating. And if that wasn't enough, uh, this, uh, fellow from golf digest who was like shepherding us around, he said, uh. Fellas, there's somebody that wants to meet you, and I think you're going to want to meet him. And I'm thinking, oh, gee, I wonder who this is, you know, which golfer this is going to be. Well, took took us over to meet the commissioner of golf, Dean Beeman. Oh, wow. uh, brother. You know, you, you want to talk about adding more pressure, I find out that the commissioner of golf is going to be watching me play. And <laughs> and uh, to top it off, he he says to us, Uh, he has like a little huddle with the four of us. And uh, he says, uh, you know, guys, we know you're going to play bad today. He said, but, you know, here's what I want to ask of you. He said, if there's a knock against golf, it's that people complain that it can sometimes take too long to play. He said, now, you know, if you guys could go out and play this course, in like four, four and a half hours, we'd be able to say, look, these are the worst golfers in America. And they managed <laughs> to play this round in four and a half hours. And I was like incredulous hearing this. And I said, to him, well, commissioner, I said, I want you to know I'm going to do my best. I said, but I just don't want you to be too disappointed if we don't, if that doesn't happen. We got off the course seven and a half hours later. I mean, that, wow. that's that's how long it took us to play. That and,
5: is
2: long. <laughs> and, you know, here, here's the thing. Playing from the pro tees, in many respects, we would have needed a career shot just to make it to the fairway over all the obstacles and waste bunkers and swamps and everything else that was there. And, you know, it wasn't just me. All four of us uh, were having enormous problems. And just to give you an example of this, on the very first tee, I told you I had hit two nice balls for the Golf Digest cameraman. And, by the way, they had that swing sequence in in the magazine. And they basically said that I did everything humanly possible wrong (laughs) uh, in my swing, but I had, I hit two, two nice balls uh, with it. Um, but anyway, uh, just the way golf is, but anyway, uh, I go to the first tee and I'm a nervous wreck and I absolutely raked this ball at the first tee right down the middle. It was a beautiful shot, but guess what? By the time I got up to my ball, I was in a, in a, a deep bunker and the reason was because we were playing from the pro tees if right. i'd have been playing from a normal tee i would have cleared that hazard but that was what we had to deal with all day long uh that many more obstacles because of the length that we were we had added on and i remember saying you know answering a question you know people would ask me you know how long how what kind of a score do you think you could have in this this thing and i think at the time the highest score i had ever recorded was like a like a 140 or something like that and i said oh i it wouldn't shock me if somebody had a 200 at this course with the, with the way we're we're playing from the pro tees and that turned out to be really prophetic because uh you know, after eighteen holes, the very best score that anybody had was a one hundred seventy nine. Uh that was Kelly Ireland from Tyler, Texas. Uh Joel Joel Mosser from Aurora, Colorado had a a, a one ninety five. Uh Jack Pulford from Moline, Illinois had a two hundred eight. And my score was otherworldly, mainly because on the 17th hole, the island hole, uh, I had what I called later a a golf-induced coma, <laughs> where I lost so many balls that I I I still can't comprehend it. Uh, I you know I, I had lost about 10 balls already, and my caddy. Uh, pulled me aside, he put his arm over my shoulder, and he says, look, you don't have to do this. And I said, what do you mean? (laughs) And he said, you can putt down this path and out the other path that goes out to the green. Yeah. And I I looked at him like he had two heads, and I said, do you want people to think I'm making a joke out of this? I said, no, I'm not going to putt. I said, I'm going to get on the way you're supposed to get on I'm going to chip this ball on. And, you know, I proceeded to lose balls left, right, short, long. I hit balls on the green, and they rolled off the other end. And I just, for, for know, yeah, there was no way that that shot was in my bag that I was going to be able to make it. And finally, I had to do the most humiliating thing that a human being could ever do. And I had to pot my way out the path uh, and then out the other path that went out to the green wow. and you know today, if you look at that walkway that goes out to the green, it's a straight shot but back in the 1980s it was like it was like a snaking path and I was putting up that <clears throat> path and I actually putted off of the path into the water. so I had to take another drop. Before I could putt onto the green, and then three putt, and when I when I finished the hole, my scorer from Golf Digest, uh, Bob Carney, he uh, he came up to me with a clipboard, and you ever keep track of something? You know, you go one, two, three, four, and the line is five. Sure, sure. One, two, three, four, and the line is five.
1: Right.
2: He had these this pad had a line across it full of those things. And he says, Angela, I I, I can't, I can't believe what you just did. He said, I added up your score with all the penalties and everything. He said, you just took a 66 on that one hole. And when I heard that, it was like, no, come on, 66. You got to be kidding. And, and it was true. And, and I still had to play number eighteen, and you know the the mood of the crowd, like when I'm walking off the seventeenth, all these people are slapping me on the back and everything. And, you know, one guy uh, had a shirt on. He said, "I want to be Angelo's agent," and <laughs> and you know it, it was it was just bizarre. But uh, now I had to play eighteen, which has been called one of the most difficult closing holes in all golf. And I hit my first, my tee shot into a, a sawgrass bush that was about uh, 20 yards after the green, or after the tee area. And, and uh, so I'm, I'm looking for my ball for five minutes, and a PGA official says, you're going to have to go back to the tee and reload. <clears throat> so I go back to the tee, I hit a second ball, right into the same big clump of sawgrass bush. Oh, so now I'm looking for two balls. Couldn't find either one. I had to go back again. Well, to make a long story short, on that hole, I took a 22 on number 18. Oh, wow. And so when I potted out, uh, this one reporter comes up to me and he says, you know, this is incredible. He said, do you realize you took a 66 on number 17? Gee. That's a score that, Cal Pete shot for 18 holes when he won the Players' Championship last year. I said, no, I didn't know that. And, uh, and then another guy comes up to me, and he says, uh, this is unbelievable. He said, Angelo, your score, you tied Mike Suchak's all-time record. And I, I have to admit, I didn't know who Mike Suchak was. I had never heard of him. Well, he was a a, a player in the early 60s and apparently he had the lowest score for an entire tournament he shot a 257 and I did that for 18 holes <laughs> so the, the next day the USA today had it that the best scores and the worst scores in the history of golf are cryptically the same wow and you know, that is really, when you think about it, that is really bizarre to think about. Um, it, it is. But it, it is. was, it was. Um, you know, people just can't believe that we were trying our best to play. But that's how lousy we were, and that's how tough this course was. And, of course, you know, having us playing from the pro tees, with all that added pressure, uh, you know, it's it's it just uh, it it just set a, a record in the annals of golf that probably will never, ever be touched. Uh, it, you know, game, golf has been being played for, I think, something like five hundred and fifty years. And when you think of how many millions of rounds of golf have been played, I mean, that's a that's a pretty amazing statistic. To know that you have the worst score that was ever documented, right? And you know, in (laughs) front of PGA officials and everything, you know.
1: Well, that's quite an accomplishment. And you know what, Angelo i I remember real quick uh, the first time I heard before because we're going to take a quick break and we're going to go into your books real quick. We have a few minutes left, but uh, the first time I heard of you was on my my friend uh, who I talk about all the time, Jim Valvano's lighter side of sports, and and here Uh, you are. Here you are uh on, on my
2: show, but real quick
1: <laughs> b- before we go to commercial break, tell us about that experience with Jim Dalvado.
2: Oh brother. I never met any person like him in my life and he was just so hyper and and he everything was like uh he, you know, he had us chipping chipping plastic golf balls around and uh it, it was just so bizarre. Uh and then afterwards after the show uh, they had a little get together and, uh, I got, I got a chance to meet his wife and, and, and Jim was still real hyper, you know, it, it was just his nature. Uh, but he was, I, I never met any person like him. Uh, he was just a real fun guy to be around. And, uh, of course I was, I was devastated when I heard, uh, about his illness and, um, and that we lost him way too early. That's for uh, sure. But That's quite a sure. quite an Italian-American. Yes, sir.
1: Well, I take a quick and, – and I love Jim. There's not too many shows that that goes uh, without me mentioning him and his impact in my life for sure. But we're going to take a quick commercial break to hear from our great sponsors, Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center, Donald's Petrie and Sports Bar, Criminal Defense Attorney Eric Jackson-Lurie, and my policy quote, and, you know, to get my book on my website, you know, about the boxing authorities with Luther Dupree Jr. and spoken Jim Frazier. Check us out on Channel Box. Click on WBC Live link, the Basketball Coaches podcast, which I host, PA-BCA.org. And our new radio show with Steve Mancini, Italian Impact Weekly on WKHB Radio. Check us out on 102.1 FM, 94.1 FM, 92.3 FM, and 620 AM every Thursday at 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. And you can check us out on, if you missed the radio show, you can go to the website, ItalianImpactWeekly.com. Next two weeks' guests are Mario Andretti on May 4th. And Vince Ferragamo, May 11th. And you can also hear those interviews on my show at com. Right back with Angelo Spagnolo.
3: Why is it when I talk to my mom, she can't understand me? She gets so cranky and irritable. Well, your
4: mother's ears cannot understand speech sounds. And that leaves her trying to guess what you said. This makes conversation exhausting for her. Can we help her? Yes, Julie. Once we improve her hearing, she'll be less frustrated and be able to enjoy talking with you again.
3: If your loved one needs help hearing and understanding, call the Roscoe Hearing Center at 814-375-0455. Hearing
4: solutions with the care you've been looking for.
5: Are you tired
1: of paying too much for health insurance with those enormous premiums you lose yardage then get sacked with all the upfront costs. What are you paying for. Lou and his team at My Policy Quote are your number one draft pick. They have access to all the top carriers, and as a brokerage, they have full market visibility with the tools and experience. Let Lou help you and your family find truly affordable quality insurance and quarterback your power play to get you out of the penalty box. Call Lou and his team at 412 609 9963. Okay, Angela. we have a few minutes left, and again, we're going to have you on again because you have a lot of stories, and I, I want to get to some of the stories, but you are also an author. Uh, tell us about a few of your books and uh, especially your latest book, please.
2: Well, the um, funny part, my, my sons uh, kept telling me uh, th- th- there were so many things that happened to me after becoming the worst avid golfer. I mean, it was just a never-ending saga of just unbelievable things, and my my boys kept telling me, "Dad, you need to you need to write a book about this. This is just mind-boggling." And I think the tipping point was when um, one day my boys came home from from school, and they they said to me um, that they wanted to, to get Nike. Shoes, and I said, "Do you know how much those shoes cost? They're like two hundred dollars a pair." I said, "When I was a kid, I got shoes for ten dollars a pair." <laughs> and I said, "No, they're too expensive." Well, unbelievably, and I think it, this is why they couldn't believe it either. I got a, a phone call the next day from a, a um, advertising agency in Portland, Oregon that represents Nike, and they were putting a commercial together for Nike that was going to have Curtis Strange and Peter Jacobson, and they wanted to know if I'd be interested in being in this golf commercial. <laughs> of course. <laughs> of course. Well, you know, when I, when I got off the phone, I, I told my boys, I said, you're not going to believe who that was on the phone. Who, Dad? It was Nike. They want me to be in a commercial for them. Wow. Dad, why do you do that kind of stuff? Why do you make up stories like that? Yeah, you know, they didn't believe it, and it took me two days to convince them. And finally, when I wasn't backing down on my story, they started to the realization started to hit that, hey, if if my dad's going to be in this commercial, maybe we can get some shoes from it. So I was going out. It was around uh, Halloween. And they they uh, were filming this commercial at a sound, sound stage in Hollywood, and uh, we had a break in the action. I mean, this was a a multi-million dollar commercial that they were making. It was called the Big Swing, and and uh, uh, we had a, a break for lunch, and we're sitting at a table, and I'm sitting with Curtis and Peter and all the the brass from Nike, and. I pull out this list out of my pocket, and I said to the advertising director, I said, Mel, I said, you're going to get a kick out of this. I said, my sons gave me this list. They said, well, why don't you give this list to Mel and see if, if maybe he can get us some shoes? And he looked at it, and there's like maybe 10, 15 different kinds of shoes on this list. And he smiled, and he said, well, I'll have to see what I can do. And he put it in his pocket. So when I came back, uh, my boy said, "Did you get shoes? Did you get shoes?" I said, "I wasn't at the Nike Factory. I was at a Hollywood sound stage, and he said, "So you didn't get any shoes." Well, you know, they were they were just you know it, it just devastated them. And I said, "Don't worry. He said he'll do something." Well, a week, two weeks, three weeks went by. no shoes. And one day my my youngest son says, uh, well, Dad, I guess we're never going to get any shoes from Nike. I said, well, you don't know that for sure. Well, here, it was Christmas Eve, and this big box shows up at our house, and it's got a Nike sticker on the outside. And my boys called me up at the store. They were off from school just going crazy. They want to open this box. I said, no, you're not allowed to do that. And make a long story short, I I know I have wet dragon stories out that's uh, all right. When we, we opened up uh this box, they each got two pairs of shoes. Uh I got golf shoes, my wife got walking shoes. I mean we had like eight pairs of shoes that they sent us. And I told I told my boys, I said, I'll tell you what you're gonna do. You're gonna sit down and you're gonna write a thank you note to Mel and thank him so much for his kindness sure and they did they wrote these really nice notes and we mailed it we mailed it to nike well a few days later i got this call at my store and it was mel calling from nike and uh he says you know he says i gotta tell you something i got the letters from your boys and they really touched me he said i can't tell you how many shoes i've given away during the course of my career He said, I've just never gotten notes that were so sincere like this. And he said, I I just want to tell you how much I appreciated it. And, you know, I I told my boys that. And, uh, uh, you know, I was really proud that that they had done that, uh, that I had asked them to do it, too. Because, uh, you know, it's one thing to ask somebody to do something. But then I said, Mel, I said, "It, it really was amazing to me that we got these shoes like on Christmas Eve. I said, of all days of the year. He said, well he said, that's that's what I intended to do. I wanted them to get there as a Christmas gift on Christmas Eve. Now here's a guy that's the advertising director for Nike. And he had the presence of mind to do something and time it so that it would get there for Christmas Eve. Now can you believe that? That that just blew my mind that a guy that busy would have had the presence of mind to do something like that, but that's one of the stories that i that I included in my book uh Life's an Unplayable Lie That was the first book that I wrote um and that was the the title that I gave it uh, uh and there's 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 a million stories in that book that are just like that that are just unbelievable stories uh, that you would say, no way that could have happened. And, and they were all true. And, (laughs) and, and that's, that's why, uh, uh, you know, later on in life, when I was getting ready to turn 65, uh, I decided that I was going to work on putting together my, my complete autobiography. And, and I, I, called that uh, Confessions from a Charmed Life. And I did something in that book that uh, I don't know if it's ever been done. And what I did was I chronicled every year of my life and and put in all the things that would be of interest uh, to tell in that story. And it, it amazed me how many good stories I had uh, to share. And they weren't just boring stories these were really interesting stories, and uh, but that was an extremely difficult book to put together. Uh, and uh, uh, and in between those two books, I I decided that uh, gee, I think it would be a lot of fun to to write some fiction. And I came up with a uh, a line of books. It's called the Federal Rapid Response Unit, which is a uh, it's like a crew of people, that it's a top-secret top, top secret government agency that reports directly to the president, and uh, they're a counterterrorism unit, and uh, they were founded right after uh, the events of 9-11, and, uh, and the, the first book in that series was called The Heroes of La Palma, uh, where they um, are Stopping a, a, a plot to to blow up uh, the La Palma fault line uh, on in the Canary Islands and that would generate a a massive tsunami uh, to wipe out the whole East Coast of the United States. So that was the first book, and then I I, I did a second book that was called uh, Kexburg Dockbulganger Effect which uh, talks about the, the UFO crash in Kecksburg and links it to Nazi Germany uh, and experiments that the Nazis did with a, a craft that they called der Glocken, which was uh, the bell, uh, which I, I, I'm speculating that the, the craft that landed was actually a time-travel device and not a UFO. Um, that was the second book. The the third book, the same crew, is back together again in a a story called uh, um, uh, the Saint Peter's uh, Tales from Saint Peter's Basement, and it has a lot to do, of course, with the Vatican and the Pope, and uh, very interesting story there. Uh, the final book, uh, the book four that it was published, is called Nation Divided and that one uh, uh, talks about the hero of, of the series. His name is Blake Roberts, and uh, by this time, he has been involved in so many incredible things that people are calling him the greatest American since George Washington. So in this book, The Life of George Washington is featured, and I did a tremendous amount of research into his life, and um uh, I I told many stories about George Washington in this book that are true stories um that that are paralleling uh what Blake Roberts is doing uh as as a hero and uh you know so now I'm I'm working on what would be book number 5 and uh I still don't have uh, the final title for that one yet, but it, it would be the concluding story in this series. And I also um, put out um, a book. Uh, it's called "150 uh, of the Strangest, uh, Most Researched Yet Still Unsolved Mysteries," and people just love that kind of stuff. Sure. And uh, I did a tremendous amount of research to put that book together and what i did was i i uh i put these stories in chronological order and you know it started off with the birth play, birth of the earth itself uh until modern day uh you know mysteries are still unsolved so um that was that was a a, a real successful book too so all my books are available on Amazon. Uh, you can look up uh, books by Angelo Spagnolo and um, be able to to look through the whole the whole listing of things uh, And uh, you know, I hope people give them a, give them a chance.
1: Well, Angela, <clears throat> I've already started to read uh, the book that you gave me, and again, just by your interview here today, very interesting, and you have a ton of stories. And you just great. I know they're great books because you're a great guy. You lived a great life and you still have a lot to accomplish yet. And uh, again, it's been my honor to meet you, your son, your family. And uh, again, I'm not just saying that you're a wonderful guy and, and I truly appreciate you. And we'll have you back on the show again for sure to to tell more of those stories.
2: Great, Claudia. Thanks. I appreciate it.
1: Thank you, brother. I appreciate you being on. Thank
2: you. Okay, Claudia.
1: Okay, everyone, I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Angelo is a great guy. And make sure you get his books because they are extremely interesting. And he put his heart and soul into those books, too. Like I said, I'm reading uh, the one he gave me. And it's just uh, it's very fascinating. And uh, you'll definitely enjoy them. Okay, as always, I want to thank our great sponsors, Roscoe Hearing Analogy Care Center, Donna's Pizzeria and Sports Bar, Criminal Defense Attorney Eric Jackson-Laurie, and my policy quote. Don't forget about my book on my website at Robinson, Barnes & Noble, barnesandnoble.com, amazon.com, The Boxing Authorities with Luther Dupree Jr., Smoke and Jim Frazier on Channel Box. You can check us out on, uh, yeah, on Channel Box and click on the WBC Live link. PA Basketball Coaches, go to pa-bca.org. Our new radio show with Steve Mancini, Italian Impact Weekly on WKHB Radio, 102.1 FM, 94.1 FM, 92.3 FM, 620 AM every Thursday, 5 p.m. to 6 p.m. This week's guest is Mario Andretti. Next week's guest is Vince Ferragamo. You can also listen to... The Archive shows on Italian Impact Weekly. Lots of great guests coming up on our show here, including Ferragamo and Andretti. Those will be uh, simulcast, so you can check us out here as well. As always, thank you, Rick Mitchell. Adam Zalouf, the very best producer out there. And thank you, Mom and Pop. Talk to you guys soon.
0: Thank you for listening to The Claudio Rosano Show, brought to you by Roscoe Hearing and Allergy Care Center. Be sure to tune in next time on ClaudioRossano.com.
3: when I talk to my mom, she can't understand me. She gets so cranky and irritable.
4: Well, your mother's ears cannot understand speech sounds, and that leaves her trying to guess what you've said. This makes conversation exhausting for her. Can we help her? Yes, Julie. Once we improve her hearing, she'll be less frustrated and be able to enjoy talking with you again.
3: If your loved one needs help hearing and understanding, call the Roscoe Hearing Center at 814-375-0455.
4: Hearing solutions with the care you've been looking for.
5: Are you tired of paying too much for health insurance? With those
1: enormous premiums, you lose yardage, then get sacked with all the upfront costs. What are you paying for? Lou and his team at My Policy Quote are your number one draft pick. They have access to all the top carriers, and as a brokerage, they have full market visibility with the tools and experience. Let Lou help you and your family find truly affordable quality insurance and quarterback your power play to get you out of the penalty box. Call Lou and his team at 412 609 9963.